Hey, Changemakers, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Worlow, and I have another great guest lined up for you today. And today we have someone that I think you're really going to enjoy. But before we get into a deep conversation together, I want to remind you why you're here. This podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change as a force for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, purpose, impact, and prosperity for all. We want to encourage you to think a little wider about your own life from your personal and professional development to also ask the question, how can I make a meaningful impact with my life? It's time for us to find a way to live in resonance with each other and all living things. And at Sacred Changemakers, we're here to help to build the foundations of a more equitable, loving and resonant world. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Sometimes we're going to be interviewing change makers and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations tackling the challenging issues of our times. But first, a word to our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by our sister company, Coaches Business School, who exist for one reason only, to help coaches fulfill their potential so they can live a meaningful life and grow their business in a way that is profitable, predictable, and purpose-driven. These are rare humans who have a deep purpose and calling to make a difference. We help them make a greater impact. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can find out more information at coachesbusinessschool.com. Okay, so our guest on the podcast this week is Beverly Wright, a dynamic public speaker, executive business coach, successful business leader, diversity, equity and inclusion advisor, and community volunteer. Throughout her long and illustrious career, Bev has been an intrapreneur, building teams and internal businesses inside a Fortune 50 technology company, and with the help of her stellar team, created an award-winning internal coaching business from the ground up as an integral element of the leadership development program. She is now CEO of the Right Choice Group and a rare recipient of IBM's Most Admired Golden Circle Award. She's been selected as one of Marshall Goldsmith's Top 100 Coaches, and she received the inaugural ICF Circle of Distinction. She is passionate about helping her clients become successful as they define it and is active in her local community as president of the Dallas Dinner Table. Now, today our conversation is titled, Have You Chosen Leadership or Has Leadership Chosen You? So welcome to the podcast, Bev. Thank you so much, Jane. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, honestly, Bev, your bio, it just doesn't do justice to all the positive impacts I know you're currently making with your work, not to mention what you're doing voluntarily. So, I'm really excited to dig in with you today and introduce our community to you. But before we do that, our listeners have just heard your professional bio and I'd love to introduce them to the real life human behind that bio. So tell us a little bit about her. Who is she? Well, you know, she is, um, I guess, the grown up version of who I've always been, even from my earliest um 
memory. I was always the kid that made sure everybody held hands and crossed the street together from the age of five to 50, right? And so <laughs> I've still done that. I, I think I've mentioned to you in the past that I grew up in a, um, in a neighborhood that was really like the village. And so a lot of my friends are people I met in first grade and we're still connected. Wow. And so we still we still get together, um, you know, usually even during the pandemic, we did a virtual get together. And um, and then for our 50th high school reunion, we all went to Punta Cana and had a wonderful time. And so now we're planning, I think it'll be our, our 55th coming up next when maybe we can all meet in person again and plan some trip. And so I think at my heart, it's always been about other people. So when you talk about community service, my parents were my model for that. They were servant leaders uh, and entrepreneurs. And so I had great um, examples early in my life about the value of helping other people. And my mother said to me when I was a teenager once, I asked her, we were having some conversation and she said, you know, the reason that you are given gifts is so that you have them to share with others. And I've never forgotten that. And I saw my mother and my father do that daily. And so that was my example. And I think that's who I really, that's who I really am. I'm happiest when I'm helping people because I think that that's really my purpose in life. And, you know, just listening to you say that, it makes so much sense knowing you as I have done now for a number of years knowing that you, you're almost like, I think of you, and I don't think I've ever said this to you, but I think of you like this lighthouse that just kind of beams out and, and you're just spreading your light everywhere and people are just kind of attracted to you and they just come in droves, Bev, <laughs> to find you. So that's kind of what I think of when I, when I think of you. So it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. And, and you know what, just listening to you, I love the simplicity of what you're saying there because it extends out. I've seen you extend this out in so many different areas of life that um, it really is your essence. But I'd, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about this time that we're in now, because, you know, um, it's an interesting time to be alive, I feel. And I'd love to know, you know, what are you passionate about right now at this moment in your life? Well, I'm passionate about, um probably two main things. One is young leaders, right? And really supporting them to be the best that they can be. I think that they have the passion. Many times they don't have the life experience yet or the business experience, frankly, sometimes. And so I do a lot of mentoring with young leaders. I'm impressed by their desire to change the world over the weekend, right? <laughs> And so, <laughs> in the spare time, <laughs> and uh, and and I love that because my generation, you know, we we were the people that you know tried to do everything that was asked of us because we thought we had to, and they just aren't those people. They really do think they can change the world and they can change it in a hurry. And and that part I'm really drawn to. And then the other thing is really just trying to be part of the solution of healing the divisions that I see because it's just so damaging. And what I say to people all the time is that the people that are enemies of what we've created in America as the grand experiment, uh, they 
watch with glee as we try to tear each other down. I said, we're doing their work for them. And so I want to be part of bringing us together in every possible way. I've, I can't tell you how much time I've spent thinking there's got to be some, you know, silver bullet somewhere. And I first thought, I said, well, maybe it's moms. Maybe I could get enough moms together from all these different factions. And I think moms would understand why it's so important that one is mod role models to our children. Um, that's part of it, because I think some of the adult behavior I see and hear about, we would not tolerate from our children. And, uh, and so the divisions bother me a lot because we have so much important work to do and we're just siphoning off our energy in ways that aren't productive. And I ask my clients that sometimes when they're caught in a spiral and I'll just say, you know, is it helpful? If it's not helpful, we need to address that because it's not helping you get where you're trying to go, right? It's kind of like, you know, my mother used to call it hustling backward, right? <laughs> yeah, I get that. I do. And, you know, I love that you've opened us up with these two passions that you have for longer, younger leaders and then healing the divisions. Because it seems to me when I look at the title that we've chosen for our conversation today, have you chosen leadership or has leadership chosen you? It seems to me that this title has got quite a big part to play in both of those passions. <laughs> Absolutely, because it, it leadership, that's the whole point of leadership. Leader, you know, I have watched um, leaders, I've been a leader and I've been a follower. And the leaders that I admired were the ones that had bigger visions for me. And they were typically people that had big goals uh, for themselves and for others. And they could make me believe in my part that I needed to play in order for us to achieve it. And so that's what, what our world needs now. We need people um, that really have that ability to lead people and engage them where they want to take the heel, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I'm not seeing enough of that, but I do think that's a huge part of the solution is leadership. We've got to have leaders that are courageous enough to stand up when it's not popular and say what's true. Uh, and that's whether you're in business, that happened, there's a huge need there, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and really just every facet of our life, if we had really effective leadership, I think this experiment would be, that we call America, would live up to its promise. And I love how you're calling America this experiment. Like, what do you mean by that? Because that feels very different sometimes to, you know, what I hear, like some, I'll, I'll say, I don't really want to get political, but some political leaders talking, oh, sure. they, they talk in certainties rather than that this is an experiment and there's so much that's uncertain right now. So I'd love you to just walk us through that a little bit because that it makes a lot of sense to me. Well, you know, we refer all the time to the founding fathers and, you know, what the idea was and what we were trying to get away from, the things that uh, we didn't feel like were supportive of us being um, for the people, mm -hmm. right? And that the people had a say, but we're still not a, you know, super old country, right? So there's a lot of things that were written down that we haven't necessarily lived into. They were aspirational. And, um, and so some of them we have achieved to a degree, 
but there's still a lot that we could work on <laughs> to make it be for all the people. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I, I just feel like that that's really what the, the grand idea was, right? That we could be inclusive and we could be, um, and at that time, certainly there were things they didn't foresee us becoming where we are now. Right. Uh, a country with, you know, so much power and those kinds of things. But there's still some things we, we have to work on. So to me, it's like any any other thing. My husband and I were talking uh, the other night. We were watching something on television. And um, at the time, it looked like it was something that was impossible to do. And I said to him, I said, but think about everything that we've ever created, we being inventors and other people, that when it started out, people thought it wasn't smart. And now we rely on it. And you can go from flying airplanes to the Wright brothers, right? When they were flapping around and everybody thought they were nuts. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and now, you know, so there's so many things. Look at the space uh, travel that we have. Some of our, um, our local billionaires <laughs> that are doing. And so, you know, and they've taken some criticism, perhaps some of it rightly so, but you know, one of the things that I've heard a couple of them say is that we can do more than one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. And so they are not just going to space, but if we don't explore those things, we never really figure out, are there things that would serve all mankind? Uh, and there are all kinds of examples of that. And so all of that takes leadership. I looked up the other day because I've been doing some work on uh, confidence and self-confidence in particular. And many times I'll go to the dictionary and just make sure I'm clear about what the definitions are, because we use words all the time that morph, and by the time we've used them for you know decades and generations, we don't even know what they mean anymore. But one of the things when I looked up confidence that it said, one of the um, most relevant words that was a um, uh, in the thesaurus was courage. And I was encouraged by seeing courage there because I've always known that leadership requires courage. Hmm. And so when I see that confidence is closely aligned to having the courage to lead, um, I thought that makes perfect sense to me because it does take courage to lead, especially when you're leading with things that perhaps are not popular at the time, but you still know that it's the right thing to do. So let's just be clear here, because we were talking before we actually hit the record button for the podcast, and you were talking to me a little bit about your definition of leadership and, and saying very clearly that it's not just when you say leadership, Bev, you're not just talking about positional leadership in organizational life. So can you speak to that for our audience? Yeah, I um, and this is some, I've had a long held belief that there are basically two types of leadership. There's personal leadership and there's positional leadership. And if I had to choose, I would choose personal leadership because you don't, most of the time, you don't control whether you have positional leadership or not. People can take your title, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or reorganizations, lots of things happen where you have it today and you won't have it tomorrow. And what I've always worked with clients on is making sure they were clear about which one they had, and they may have both, but the one that they control is their personal leadership. Nobody can take that 
from you. And, and what I've said is that you can lead from wherever you are. You don't, you've been in organizations, most people have, where someone doesn't have a, uh, when they talk about influencing without authority, that's what they're talking about is personal leadership. They don't have the weight of the position that they can use to influence people. So they have to do it strictly by their personal engagement, the way they treat people. Um, and if you look at the difference, I've always been kind of uh, uh, interested in people and how they treat volunteers. If you treated your employees like volunteers, you may keep them longer because with volunteers, they can always leave. Right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you, you can't just treat them any old kind of way. And if you look at what's going on with the uh, as a result of the pandemic, uh, they had a, a newscast on yesterday, and one of the the um, one of the segments that they did was called "Resignation Nation," and they had a fast food place, and I won't call the name of it, but they had I think twenty five employees, and twenty three of them quit together. Oh wow! And put it on a billboard that said, "We quit." And so they interviewed one of the people that left. And she was the one that said there were 25 of us and 23 of us all resigned at the same time. And she said, because um, this is what I was saying to my husband, it's not really about the money. It's about the way they were treated, whether they felt appreciated. And she said that exact thing. She said, you know, I was tired of being disrespected and unappreciated. And I found a job where they treat their employees like they care about them. And what I've always known is that money becomes the biggest factor when everything else is missing. Mm. So if you don't feel appreciated, the first thing you think is, well, at least if they don't appreciate it, they can pay me well, right? <laughs> but, but when you don't have that, one of my clients used to call it a psychological paycheck. I love that. And I love the way you're talking about, I've never thought of it in that way, like treating your employees like volunteers, because then you're really acknowledging the fact that you need to take care of these people. You can't just treat them like machines, which, you know, often we, we see happening in, in certainly in large oh, global organizations. So I'd love to, you know, kind of walk with you a little bit into, you know, what is your vision? of leadership? What are the shifts you'd like to see for leaders? Well, I want to see them see leadership as the full package. I think many times leaders know about the privilege of leadership, but they sometimes forget about the responsibility of leadership. And one of the key responsibilities is developing and caring for your people. Uh, because they really are the ones that are closest to your clients in most cases. Uh, because when you're the leader, you're at least once removed, sometimes many times removed from the people that actually pay you uh, so that you have revenue. But your frontline people are the ones that really have more information about what that frontline, what that uh, end user of your products really cares about. They know if they like your service or your product is something that they have to have and then you um, you know, you, they may choose you because you, you are one of the few in the category. But if the first opportunity they have to leave, they will do that. And I use cable TV as one of the, the examples is when I got cable TV from a vendor 
in my neighborhood. It was the only one we had way back when. And I thought they were terrible. And I used to tell them on a regular basis that they were terrible. And as soon as we had other options, we were leaving. Well, they didn't pay me any attention, but then we got a competitor. And as soon as we got them, I left them. And then all of a sudden, the one I had been complaining about for literally years started sending me all kinds of discounts, saying, oh, here's the things we'd love for you to come back. And I thought, but I've been telling you that as soon as I had another option, because you weren't changing, that I was leaving and you didn't care then. But guess what? Now I have another option. <laughs> and I'm doing exactly what I said I would do. And so for leaders, um, I always suggest that they really talk to their people and really understand at an individual and a collective level what it is they care about. Um, I was coaching some military leaders several years ago, and I suggested to one that I was coaching that he used this question about, you know, how can I be the best manager for you? And he came back and he's like, Bev, that's the best question in the world. Because he had asked his right-hand person that, and he said, we had, he said, he's worked with me for several years now. He said, we had the most genuine conversation that we've ever had. And what he noticed is the next time they had two meetings scheduled at the same time, and he asked his uh, right-hand person, which he said, I think I should go to meeting A and you should go to meeting B. And his uh, person said, his assistant said to him, no, I think it should be the reverse and here's why. He said, Bev, I promise you, before I had asked him that question, we had this different relationship, he never would have contradicted me or made a suggestion that we do it the opposite way. That's great. So let me ask you about our title, because I'd love to know, like, what experiences have you had that has led you to this place, this question, which feels to me like a, you know, a really, a question that you'd ask that would bring some real insights for people, which is, have you chosen leadership or has leadership chosen you? So what's that about? <laughs> well, I was curious because I was clearly not the person that chose leadership. In my career, <laughs> leadership didn't look like fun to me, but I had a, a manager early in my career uh, that had a bigger vision for me than I had for myself at the time and really invested so much time, her time, in convincing me that I could do it my way because I was one of those people that felt like, oh, I just can't do company speak. You know, I'm not sure that you get to really speak your mind uh, and tell what I call the truth uh, to employees because, you know, they have this company speak book and they only want you to say what's in the book. Right? <laughs> and for me, I didn't feel like that would be a good fit for me. And when she first approached me with it, I said, you know, I'm not even sure they want me to be a manager because I just don't do company speak. That that would be difficult for me. And I just don't think that that I wasn't even sure that I was cut out to be a corporate person, frankly. And so my plan had been to stay at the company about five years. And I ended up being there first for seven years and, and taking maternity leave for a year when I had my son. And so my plan was to find me where I was supposed to be while I was out on maternity leave and never go back. But 
nothing really changed except the way I was viewing it. And she was a big part of that. And so I ended up staying at the company 38 years. And it was because they invested in me. She invested in me first. And it took a while for me to figure out that she saw the, the ability to lead in me that I didn't see in myself. And one of the things she said to me was one of the most generous things I've ever heard is, I'm the perfect person to teach you about leadership because I made every mistake you can make. I can take, teach you all the things not to do. Oh, and, so let me, uh, I, yeah, I, go ahead. Can I ask you a question? Because so sure. what I'm hearing is it was almost like leadership chose you. So what I'm interested in is at what point in this journey did you then step forward and choose leadership? It was after, well, here's the thing. When she got promoted to her next job in the same company, um, she recommended me as her backfield. And by that time, she had invested a year of her time in having me um, sit in for her when she had a meeting conflict. She'd send me to represent the team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so much so, people were so accustomed to me showing up in those meetings that when I got promoted, I had literally, literally been in the job for two weeks formally. But our regional administration manager thought I had been a manager for two years. And he said, Bev, he said, you've been a manager now for about two years. And I said, no, actually two weeks. <laughs> but he was accustomed to see it. And then what I learned is that I loved it. I loved the development of the people. I loved being able to, um, fixed customer situations, the challenge of that. And I worked for a company where they really invested in training me. And so I loved the opportunity to grow and develop uh, and then to be a community servant because they were big on that. And they gave me opportunities over time to be able to do that and represent them in the community. So it had all of these pieces, but I didn't figure it out in the bigger sense until I took a class while I was there and it was called Career Directions. And it was an internal class for three days. And it had us do all these assessments and prioritization um, assessments and that kind of thing. And what I figured out is that the job I had had a lot of the elements that I really loved, the people piece of it, the big goals, the you know being able to start something from scratch. It was that entrepreneur piece I talked about. Mm -hmm. I had never thought about that as me being an entrepreneur versus an entrepreneur. And I had the opportunity to build things from scratch. And I found out that that really excited me. Uh, and being able to build a team that went from zero to you know lots and lots of people uh, around a particular goal, like starting new sales offices and those kind of things. And I absolutely love that. And and figured out, well, this is what they call leadership. So I guess I do like it. <laughs> it's so interesting because, you know, listening to you, uh, it, how, how you started with, you know, leadership choosing you and then the other way around. For me, I think it was the other way around. And uh -huh. it's really interesting as I was listening to you talk there, Bev. For me, I always, well, from being really in high school, I remember choosing leadership, wanting to be a leader and you know taking a stand for things and speaking up and all those things 
But I don't believe what's interesting is I think at some point in my career, I think leadership chose me. And when it did, it took me in a different direction. It was really interesting. So there was almost an opening for me, just like you described. I mean, I don't know if you'd say the word opening about it, but when you chose it for yourself because you realized you loved it, for me, it was the other way around. And then, you know, leadership chose me to go in maybe a different direction than what I expected. And that to me sums up, it feels like, as you were talking, like the yin and yang of leadership, like knowing when yeah. to take a stand and yet knowing when to follow when leadership is showing you the way. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does make perfect sense. And what I would tell you, one is that well, leadership is not a one size fits all. And yeah. when I look back over my life, I had probably always been a leader at some level, but I didn't name it that. So when I right. mentioned to you that at the age of five, you know, I was the one that organized people and made sure we all stayed together. And I've done that my whole life. So the fact that we get together, my high school class still, it's because wow. it started with a slumber party at my house. I had some <laughs> girls come over and we had a slumber party and it just kept growing and then the guys wanted to participate so we turned it into a luncheon so they could participate and then we started rotating hosting it because i started out hosting the first one and it's grown to this huge thing um and so when i looked at you know and i've done that in other parts of my life my entire life you know um i think i have a a, a dear friend who became ill and, and lost her husband uh, not too long ago, about 11 months ago. And she was in a different uh, location, ge geographic location. And he was her caregiver. And so she was in dire straits and, um, and, and was doing the pandemic. So we couldn't just jump in the car and go see about her. Uh, but me and uh, five, well, four of us um, put together a, a project plan to get her out of where she was and back to Texas so that we could look after her. And um, it was me that said, this needs to be a project. And we literally got on Zoom and created a project plan. And she rolled back into Dallas on January the 11th and is doing great. Mm, uh, but those have been the things that, you know, when you talk about leadership and impact, I don't always think about it as leadership, but when I distill it down to its, you know, uh, most, uh, common form. That's why I said about you, you can lead from wherever you are. You don't have to have positional power. Uh, but we networked, we literally got on Zoom and said, who knows who, who knows somebody in insurance, you know, because we, and, and because she's younger than the rest of us, we had to have a place that she'd be close to medical facilities that uh, because she's, you know, so it, 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 we put the plan together and we came together because we all had individual skills that when combined could do anything. Mm. And um, so that's, that's what I see. I see examples of that type of leadership, well, you know, like what you're doing with Sacred Changemakers. That's yeah. clearly, you know, a bigger goal. It's a leadership position. Yeah, and that's the one that's chosen me. <laughs> That's yeah. the one where I'm following and feel like I'm riding a wild elephant most of the time. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. that a lot of leadership feels like that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. But I love how you make it so 
ordinary because I think, you know, I remember standing on a stage in Washington, D.C., and it was over a decade ago now. And I remember looking at this sea of faces and just asking people to raise their hands if they, you know, if they saw themselves as a leader. And I can tell you there was about there was over a thousand people in the audience. And I think I can count on one hand the amount of people that that saw themselves as leaders because they mm -hmm. had in their frame of reference really positional leadership and mm -hmm. so if they were a manager or something like that they didn't see themselves as a leader at all and I think this is changing and I think it's so important for our times because you know what if we're here today because leadership has chosen us what yes, if that is true <laughs> Well, it, it, it is true in a lot of cases. And, and what I say to my uh, clients that are C-suite people that sometimes can be micromanagers, uh, and I've had a few of those. <laughs> and uh, when I talk to them about it, they're, they're leading people. I said, you know, these people are leading families, right? They don't need you telling them what to do. They, they have <laughs> responsibilities away from work that are probably bigger than what you're giving them. You don't know what they're dealing with. And so why would you think your way is the only way to do it? Um, and so having them recognize that they are surrounded by leaders that may look different than them, may approach it different, but that's, you know, that's really not, in fact, I had one client and I said to him, I said, your whole job is to take pressure out of the system. I said, because the system has so much pressure built in that we can't do anything about. It's just the way it is. And so you as the top exec, your job is to remove barriers so they can do their best work. You don't need to add extra pressure. That's not what they need. <laughs> <laughs> and so what was great about it is he was very open to that. I started hearing him even say those words out loud about what can I do to take pressure out of the system. And people noticed when before, they said, you know, if he gives us 10 things to do and we do nine of them, he only wants to talk about the one we missed. Mm. Yeah. And so I started saying that to him. It's like, you know, what is that about? How, how encouraging and motivating is that? And their quotas are bigger than some companies, right? <laughs> it's like, these people don't need you telling them what to do. So what have you learned over your career, Bev, that, you know, you kind of bring into not just your professional career, but also, you know, in, I'm going to say into life because your leadership spills out into so many different areas. And, and I would like to get on to talking about the Dallas dinner table as well, but yeah. I'd love to know what wisdom you've kind of, well, what, what insights and wisdom you, you bring to the table that you remember from, from these times. Well, it really is, you know, part of when you did the introduction, when you said that I support clients in uh, being successful as they define it. That's yeah. really kind of at the heart of it is that um, I really try to understand, you know, whether I'm working with volunteers or people that are on payroll, mm -hmm. I want to understand who they are as people. I want to know who they are uh, at the point that we met you know, what hobbies, as I say to people, I'm, I'm not interested in cocktail level relationships anymore. And I haven't been for a long time. Um, I, if I ask you, how's it going? I really wanna know how it's going. Um, if you're dealing with something that, and I found that to be effective when I was a leader in a corporate position, as I say all the time, people don't come to work in pieces. 
the whole person shows up whether you invited them or not. And so sometimes you may have things that happen at work, you know, that are showing up in the work that have nothing at all to do with the work. And if you as a leader are not plugged into that or are sensitive enough to know that something is bothering them, and the first thing to do is to figure out if it's work related. But many times it's not, but it's affecting the work. Uh, and so what I really learned was to be genuinely, sincerely interested in people. I have one of my uh, clients, this story to me was just hysterical in a sad way, but he was mentoring this executive. Um, she was new to him as a mentee. And she said to him one day, well, how do you make them think you care about them? And he said, I want you to write this down. <laughs> he said, you actually have to care about them. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and so and so I really think that that's the case. People can smell a fake from, you know, a thousand miles away. Uh, and, you know, so I think that's that's the secret. And some of the leaders that I've had that I learned from, that was the other thing that Stacy taught me, the one that I mentioned talked me into going into leadership, is she said to me, you can learn from every single person you meet. You either learn what to do or what not to do. Look for the lesson. And fortunately, I had leaders, most of whom I learned some great things to do. But I had a couple where it was like, okay, don't want to do that, right? Because <laughs> that doesn't seem to be very effective. But I was so grateful for the lessons. And I really did have some great leaders. One that impressed me is that whenever he got a new role, he would send handwritten notes to every person on his direct report team, which were the executives. And he would say, I'm so thrilled to be joining your team. Not I'm thrilled for you to be joining my team because I'm the top guy, right? right? And then the other thing is that whenever you had a work anniversary or even a wedding anniversary, I still don't know how he did this. He would send handwritten notes. So these weren't his assistants writing these, these were him, his handwriting that said, hey, Bev, congratulations. I think you and Nathan now have been married, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, how does he find time to do this with when he's running a huge organization with a mammoth quota? <laughs> but I, I have those notes still, Jane. You know, and that really is the difference, isn't it, between, you know, being who you think you should be as a leader and learning how to show you care, as opposed to actually caring and being that servant leader that you spoke about right at the very beginning of our conversation today, is knowing you care. Because when that's your priority, of course, you know, that's, you find time to do that when you value the relationship you have with your people. And so, the other thing I learned that I, I want to make sure that I mention is the value of straight talk yeah. with people. I think uh, the other thing I say is that people that don't care about you will not tell you the truth. They will watch you make the same mistake over and over for their own entertainment. And so from a leadership perspective, I learned early in my career the value of straight talk because I received some that was really helpful to me. Um, it was not fun, but it was what I needed to hear and I never forgot it. 
And when I achieved the goal that I set out, it was about a promotion. I thought I was ready for promotion and that any minute they called, that they called me, my manager called me in his office, it was going to be to tell me I was being promoted. And so finally one day he said to me, he said, Bev, you've done a good job, but we've got somebody that's done everything we've asked them to do and they're gonna get the next promotion. He said, and we've got a couple of things that we think you, can, you should work on. I was crushed. I just really thought that I had done everything I needed to do and I was ready. But when I got to sit with it a while, there were two things I realized. One is you can't promote yourself. And so if they're giving you this feedback <laughs> and you still want the promotion, you need to pay attention. <laughs> and then the other thing is that, you know, being really honest with myself, I had been so sure that I was going to be promoted probably any minute that I probably hadn't been doing my job I already had 100% because I was distracted. <laughs> and right. so I thought I probably better give 100% of my attention to this job I have. And it took me another year to get that promotion, but that manager who was no longer my, he was actually my second line manager. He was no longer my second line manager, but he was the first person I called. Hmm. And I said, I want to thank you for you giving me the candid feedback that you did. And I want you to know it took me a little longer, but I got there. Yeah. And when I retired from IBM, he had long since been gone. And I called him in Atlanta and told him the impact that he had had on my career because I believed in straight talk from that point on and giving it to people in support of their development. Because one of the things that people want supported by research is clarity around their role and around the expectation of reward when, when they've earned one. And many times they don't get that uh, from managers who don't have the courage that we talked about earlier to be truthful with people because it's uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. So I'd love to switch gears a little bit and ask you, you know, what is your sense of the role of leadership in terms of your second passion that you talked about, you know, trying to kind of heal the divisions that you or we all see right now in the world? And I'm not just talking about in organizational life either, because I know you've been very active, you know, as president of the Dallas dinner table. So I know this spills out into many different areas of your life, Bev? Yeah, it does. Dallas Dinner Table is a, an independent nonprofit, and I've been president of the board for 20 years. And uh, it is, our mission is to eliminate, uh, to achieve an America without racism, one conversation at a time. And so we have an annual event that where we bring people of different races together in a facilitated conversation about race. And we find that we have a lot of things we agree on when we're willing to listen to each other and just share our different lived experiences. And that our goal is to, one of our guidelines is to listen to understand versus reply. Hmm. So our process is built around that so that it's not a debate, it's an exchange of perspectives and it's meant very much to be a reflective uh, enterprise so that you walk away having met some people that are different than you probably in their uh, experiences, their life experiences, their business experiences. And you can decide on whether you have been changed by that or not. 
But our experience has been is that most people, no matter how differently they felt when they walked in, they are a little bit more open, sometimes a lot more open to saying, you know what, I learned some things that I hadn't given consideration or people that things that I didn't even know were happening in the world um, to people. And so that's, that's the goal and that takes leadership. And a lot of, you know, one of the first things that you need to do as a leader is to increase your self-awareness. And that's one of the goals of Dallas Dinner Table is for us to first figure out who we are, why do we think the way we do about different people, whether they be people that are different in age, color, you know, whatever that is, culture, but what form those attitudes because where we are common is in our humanity. And that's the part that I think is going to help us heal the division is when we realize is that if you cut us, we all bleed the same kind of blood that everything else external is just a wrapper, but inside we're the same. Yeah, I, I love that. And I was a little bit taken aback when you said, I didn't realize Dallas Dinner Table had been going for 20 years. Oh, so yeah. I would love to ask you, because from my perspective, I've been in the US now for over a decade. Um, and, um, you know, my experience of racism um, in England was very different to my experience of racism here in the US. So I feel really like compelled to ask you over the 20 years that Dallas Dinner Table has been, you know, alive and well, you know, what changes, if any, have you seen? Well, I've seen um, changes that have been, you know, where they, we've had ebbs and flows, right? So we have right. some e big event and then it gets people's attention. But I will tell you, the pandemic uh, gave us all a common experience, right? Whether right. we wanted it or not. I don't know any part of the world that was not impacted. And so the pandemic gave people an opportunity to sit still in a lot of cases because the things that we used to do that occupied our time, we, that was taken away from us. Getting together in person, uh, work in some cases, you know, lots of, of places. Um, uh, de had decreased business or no business. Uh, people were working from home. And then you've had the big events around race where, uh, you know, people were killed and um, the, um, and, and that continues. And it's been there for a long time, but I think that it made a difference because people were available to really hear it and see it because we have video, right? that we didn't used to have for a long time. And so Dallas Dinner Table came about in the first place because of the dragging death of a man named James Byrd in Jasper, Texas, which is in um, East Texas. And um, they had some men that dragged him to death for sport. He was not bothering them. Uh, they saw him, he was a community guy that a lot of people knew, and they just decided that it would be fun. And so they, um, they they executed the last one, I think, of the three, uh, last year, maybe two years ago, but it's, it was the 20th anniversary of his death. Um, and at that time, the Leadership Dallas Alumni Board, which is under the umbrella of the Dallas Regional Chamber, was so horrified by that, they decided we have to do something as leaders, there's that word again, yeah. that will make it easier for people to get to know someone different for them and harder for them not to see that we all have humanity in common. Mm -hmm. 
And so they wanted to do something small and more intimate and they came up, they actually hired a consultant that they paid to create a process that was more intimate and that brought people together so that they could get to know each other at a different level. And that became Dallas Dinner Table. And when I joined the alumni board um, many years ago, they were trying to figure out how to keep it alive because that's not the main role of the chamber or any of its programs. And I had some ideas on ways that they could uh, transition it to an independent nonprofit. You know how that is. You have the idea and they think, oh, that's a great idea. Let us know how it goes <laughs> when you do right. this. And so, it, but I went to a dinner actually that um, a friend of mine suggested I go to a D Dallas dinner table. And I was so impressed with how much I learned about myself and my biases mm. that I didn't know I had that I thought we have to keep this going. And so that's why um, I've been there for 20 years and lots of volunteers have come and gone and some have come and stayed. Um, in specific, one of my Leadership Dallas classmates has been with me since uh, we were in class in 1999 and he has been beside me with this project from day one and is still here and, and very involved in training our facilitators, recruiting facilitators and uh, we do private events as well with corporations and we have several that have worked with us bringing it into their companies uh, so we've evolved and we're now evolving to america's dinner table where we're taking it uh, the process outside of dallas and rolling it out in other geographies across the u.s yeah. and we've gotten a grant we've gotten a grant to do that that really was just a blessing uh, company a foundation called the rainwater foundation has uh, given us a grant to expand for the next couple of years and then we'll see where we go from there. Oh, that's great. And is it still the same vision as you expand into America? Because I'm totally excited about this. I think it's definitely something that the world needs right now and that we need to, you know, really organize around just because, you know, to heal these divisions that are becoming more visible, I think, in the world that we live in today. So is it still yeah, the, the same vision? The, the mission is still the same. We uh, we actually now, have been, for quite some time, they've asked us about creating a program that is for school districts, where we can start mm -hmm. working with younger, uh, younger people, probably ninth grade and up. And so we're looking at that. We have a lot of different uh, ways that they want to use this process because it does give people a safe space. And that's one of the differentiators is that we ensure that we think about safety all the time so that it doesn't get out of hand. And we have great facilitators that are trained every year on how to manage, you know, such uh, sometimes challenging topics. And, and you just feel so, at least for me, encouraged after you've gone to a dinner. I've seen people that, uh, and we ask them to come as they are. We don't judge. And so we've had people that came because, you know, like one woman said that she came because her daughter had just announced that she was marrying a black man and she didn't know any black people and she came to meet some. And we welcomed her. That's what we want this to be, is we want people to come as they are, know that they won't be judged, that they'll be welcomed and that we'll all learn together. I love that. It's so, I mean, just hearing you say that is so inviting because 
quite honestly, when we look around the world today, there aren't many places we can go where we're not judged <laughs> in some ways. And I, it sounds awful when I say that. It sounds so cynical, but I actually feel no, that true. in some way. So, um, yeah, it's amazing. So, uh, Bev, I can hear it sounds like you have a storm passing through. So I'm going to bring our yes, conversation. It, to it, it came this morning and now it's back. We've had it kind of dry the rest of the day, but then it's, yeah. it's back as they forecasted it would be. <laughs> So um, I just love you to kind of answer one final question, which is, you know, if there's any words of wisdom you'd like to leave our listeners with, anything that we haven't managed to cover today in our conversation that you'd love our audience to know, what that might that be? Well, I guess the the thing, one of the things I say to our Dallas Dinner Table board all the time is that it's um, one of my favorite quotes is that many hands make light work. Mm. Every single one of us has a way that we can be part of the solutions to any of the problems we have, any of the challenges we have. We have, we are some of the most resilient, the pandemic has proven that, is that we are resilient, we are smart, uh, we have lots of resources. Uh, and if everybody just does a little bit, uh, I've really been thinking about this a lot as it relates to social media, because it can be a force for good and what I want people to think about before they post anything is, what is my intention? Will it help somebody or some, will it further good? And if it won't, you know, tell, tell one friend, call them on the phone, let off steam, but don't put it on social media because it's not useful. Uh, and again, when we talk about this experiment of not just America, but the world. I think in, in ways we are all experimenting because we're dealing with things we've never had to deal with before. Um, and so even if we didn't think it was an experiment before, <laughs> we're now learning that there's still a lot more research that needs to be done and we need to be figuring some stuff out. So we just can't afford to siphon off our energy for things that are not positive because it's just not helpful for any of us. And if we don't know by now that we're all connected in one way or another after going through this pandemic, I'm not sure you'll ever learn it. I don't know what would have to happen for you to figure out. <laughs> As I say to people all the time, we are we may have come on different boats, but we're in the same boat now, right? And so if I'm taking on water in my part of the boat and you're not helping me bail water on my part, eventually, your part of the boat's going to be underwater too. So you might want to start bailing early. I love that metaphor. That is so true. So true. Oh my gosh, Bev, thank you so much for coming to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. I have so enjoyed our conversation today and I know our listeners will feel so inspired after listening to you. So thank you. Well, it's always a joy, Jane, to uh, spend time with you. You have no idea how much you've helped me and the uh, the things that I've been privileged to learn from you. And so I'm always happy when I can just spend time with you talking about things that I think really matter. Mm. Thank you, Bev. Okay, everyone, that is all we have time for today. 
Thank you so much for listening in. Now, before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Coaches Business School, who are helping us to make a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact, you will need to understand how to build a business that works today. So check out Coaches Business School's unique frameworks some methods to help you grow your business in a way that works for you and your clients and helps make a meaningful difference in our world. Hashtag transition team. It's time we build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time. Lots of love.